Welcome back to Dead Pilot Society. If you are listening, that means you enjoyed the pilot episode of The Sleeping Father as much as I hoped you would, and you're back for episode two. Bernie, we left him in a coma. What the heck? So much is revealed. The characters deepen. You get to really get a sense of what this series could have been. I wish I was watching this series on streaming right now. You get to spend some more time with our incredible cast, Dave Foley, Ciara Bravo, Ennis Esmer, Daniel DiMaggio, Nicole Sakura, Niles Fitch, Belina Logan, Greg Hess, and of course my friend Sarah Rafferty. This is The Sleeping Father, episode 102, Old Man River, by Michelle Mulroney and Kieran Mulroney, based on the novel The Sleeping Father by Matthew Sharp. Enjoy. I'm Jordan Morris. And I'm Jesse Thorne. On Jordan Jesse Go, we make pure, delightful nonsense. We rope in awesome guests. And bring them down to our level. We got stupid with Judy Greer. My friend Molly and I call it having the space weirds. Pat Oswalt. Could I get a Balrog burger and some Aragorn fries? Thank you. And Kumail Nanjiani. I've come back with cat toothbrushes, which is impossible to use. Come get stupider with us at MaximumFun.org. Look, your podcast app's already open. Just pull it out. Give Jordan Jesse Go a try. Being smart is hard. Be dumb instead. This is The Sleeping Father, episode 102, Old Man River, by Michelle Mulroney and Kieran Mulroney, based on the novel The Sleeping Father, by Matthew Sharp. It's magic hour on the Pacific Coast Highway. The music cue is All I Do Is Win by DJ Khaled. The bass drops on Bernie Schwartz, our guy. No longer the suburban dad wreck. Now he's behind the wheel of a Bentley convertible, bombing up the PCH, shining sea to his left. He's the man. He's got swag. He's the Jewish Jay-Z. Wind in his hair, sunglasses reflecting the setting sun. Bernie pulls his sweet ride up in front of a swanky Grecian Revival Malibu mansion overlooking the Pacific. He tosses his keys to the valet Parker. It's Kathy Schwartz, his daughter. Little pillbox hat. He slips her a $100 bill. She smiles a rare smile. Inside the house, the grand foyer. Gold and marble everywhere. Bling. Greeting Bernie like the badass he is, is his ex-wife, Lila. The pre-divorce, pre-shitstorm version. Wearing an apron and nothing else. She hands him a dry martini. A sexed-up kiss on his cheek. In the backyard, it's a partay, full swing. Tiki torches, fireworks, the thumping bass of the music. All the women guests are models. All the male guests are Bernie clones. Hands are in the air, raising that roof. At the barbecue, with Grillmaster Bernie as he flames a steak the size of a love seat. Across the lawn, a great Dane drops a honking pile of doggy doo-doo. Bernie scans the crowd and beckons. Hey, Bill! Billy boy! Bill Cartwright, the nemesis neighbor, scurries over. But he's tiny, miniaturized, munchkin-sized. Bernie looms over him. What's up, boss? Shovel the shit, Bill. Bill salutes and toddles off to the shit pile. Good boy. And from behind, Bernie. Hey, Dad. Bernie turns to see the other Chris, a strapping young man in muscle-hugging football gear. He jogs across the lawn in NFL film slow-mo, ball tucked under his arm. The ladies likey. He's all-American, killer smile, oozing charm. Everything Bernie's real son isn't. Bernie lights up. There he is. Chris, my boy. Love you, son. 
Love you too, Dad. Go long. The other Chris cocks his arm back like Tom Brady and unleashes the perfect Hail Mary. It spirals up and up. Bernie drops his martini, tracking the pass. He runs with non-Bernie-like grace, a thing of beauty, passes Bill Cartwright, shoveling shit as high as he is. You got this, Bernie! Bernie sets up under the pass, but the football suddenly becomes a giant grenade hurtling towards him. No escape. On his face. Pure terror. Kaboom! The party is over. And we cut to Bernie's hospital room on actual Bernie, still in his coma, intubated, drooling, fucked. Dr. Lisa Danmeyer, Bernie's harried young neurologist, stands by his bedside. She reads his chart. You're starting to make me look bad, Mr. Schwartz. You've been at this, what, five days now? She leans in, wraps her knuckles on Bernie's forehead. You in there, Mr. Schwartz? Bernie? She shines a pen light in his eyes, dilating his pupils. I'm beginning to wonder if you're faking it. Are you faking it? Because I know I am. As she perches on the edge of the bed, we notice Chris, the real Chris, the non-adorable one, eavesdropping in the doorway. His expression is a hormonal mix of jealousy and lust. Dan Meyer whispers to Bernie, confessional. I'm only 31. Did you know that about me? People think because I'm a brain doctor, it must be smart, you know? But I only just learned how to use chopsticks. She leans right into Bernie's ear. Most of the time, I feel like I don't know what I'm doing. From where Chris stands, it looks like Dan Meyer's about to make out with his dad. What sort of medical procedure is that? And that's when Chris blams on in, Kathy behind him, book bags on both. Kathy still wears her nun's habit. Hello, Chris. Kathy. Faced with the overwhelming enor enormity of the situation, Chris does what he always does, the wrong thing. Are you this touchy-feely with all your patients? You think when Bernie comes out of this, he's going to marry you or something? Chris, don't be stupid. What? You're not feeling the sexual tension in this room? It's skin fizzing, man. I'm burning up. Chris tosses down his backpack, sits on the rolling examination stool, and wheels over to Dan Meyer. Look, my father's not going to wake up and marry you, Dr. D. He's going to wake up and say, Chris, get me away from this amazingly intelligent and beautiful doctor before she bores me back into a coma. Dan Meyer looks at Chris coolly, used to his BS by now. I won't dignify that with a response. What I will do is make sure your father's needs are met. Oh, I bet you will. Do we have an ETA on your mother? She was supposed to be here, what, four days ago? Kathy reaches into her wellspring of pain. I would rather have dad in his vegetative state and have to sponge bathe him with my tears for all of eternity than have her here. Okay... Dan Meyer gives Chris's wheelie stool a push, and as he glides away from her... Please call your mother again. And for the record, I don't expect anyone to wake up and marry me. She leaves. Kathy crosses to the bed, puts her hand on Bernie's cheek. Instant worry. What if this is it? What if he never wakes up? We'll be orphans. We already are. You hear that? They listen to the pulsing, echoing silence. That's the sound of nothing changing. Dad's been in a coma for fucking years. Kathy wilts, rests her cheek on Bernie's hand. We cut to the outskirts of Sedona, Arizona. Oh. A Quonset hut bakes under the desert sun. 
Huge abstract metal sculptures litter the yard. We hold for a beat. One of them lists, then topples into a pile of scrap metal. From inside, we hear Lila. Fuck. Lila's art workshop. Lila's up a ladder, welding the shell of a blue car door to a metal framework. Acetylene torch, welder's mask. It's hard to tell quite what this thing is. Is it an angel, an insect, art? Anyway, it's hideous. We witnessed Lila, the artist at work. Sextus, Lila's booty call boy toy, sits in a low-slung beach chair, Tecate beer in hand. It's up to you, babe, but it's a long drive out there. I mean, flying's faster. Lila tosses the torch to Sextus and climbs down. Why would I want to get there faster? He's still asleep. He wouldn't even know I was there. Kind of like when we were married. Oh, but your babies, though. They're not babies anymore. They're shitty little guilt trips. Everybody needs a mama. He slinks over and slips his hands inside her overalls. I know I do. He kisses her neck as Lila's eyes wander off. A conscience? Maybe. In Bernie's hospital room, Chris is at Bernie's bedside, staring at him blankly. Bernie's looking pale, skin parched. If I'm being real here, Bernie, you're looking a little rough, a little pasty. Look, basically, no matter how weird and disgusting you get here, how much you piss yourself, you got my word. As Chris shakes his father's limp hand. I won't pull the plug. I swear. Blood brothers. Chris sighs. He's bored, frustrated. <sighs> Let's see what we can do about you. Chris reaches into Kathy's backpack on the floor, takes out a sleeve of permanent markers, picks a red one. A moment of decision. Should he? What the hell? He draws big circles on Bernie's cheeks like Raggedy Ann, leans back, assesses. Okay, all right, glow of youth. Stay with me here. He fills in Bernie's lips, bright apple red. Hmm, a little femme. He switches to a dark brown marker, draws crude sideburns by each of Bernie's ears, fills them in, mutton chops. Nice burns, Bernie. Thank you. Well, thank you very much. He goes back in for the mustache, a little black square just under his nose. Hitler. Ooh, the disco furor. Chris extends the mustache into a huge villain's handlebar, then two big fat Groucho Marx eyebrows. He steps back to admire his work, looks at his father, at what he's done. Instant overwhelming regret. Oh, shit. And he shoves the markers in the backpack, licks his finger, and rubs Bernie's face. No dice, it's indelible ink. Shit. Kathy walks in and sees the face graffiti and flips out. Chris, you ass, you asshole, how could you do that to him? Chris goes defensive. What? I felt like it. He takes his backpack and bolts. Kathy goes into the bathroom and comes back out with a clump of wet, soapy paper towels. She gently tries to wash away the marker pen, but it's no use. Forgive him, okay? I know you two kind of have your own special thing with each other, and it's okay that I don't have a special thing with you or mom or anybody, really. As Kathy tenderly washes Bernie's face, the red of the cheeks starts to fade. So I might seem like I'm alone with no one to really comfort me or take care of me, but I'm not, because God does. So you don't have to worry about me. Cut to the hallway. Chris is outside the room. He heard everything. 
He leans against the wall, his eyes welling up. Don't weep, shithead. He fights tears. We go to the the room beneath the floor. This is Bernie world. Bernie stands on the seat of an old wheelchair, ear pressed to the ceiling. The two geishas steady him. Bernie bangs his fist on the ceiling. I'm here! I'm still here! Below them, the room is filling with water, rising fast. In Bernie's hospital room, on the sleeping father, two tiny tears roll down his cheeks, mingling with the red, soapy water. Oh my God! Tears of blood. It's a miracle. She clasps Bernie's hands in hers and kneels by his bedside, wanting to believe so badly. In the kitchen of Bernie's house the next morning, Kathy is pouring boiling water into two pea and ham cup of soups. The kitchen table and counter are littered with a week's worth of empty pea and ham containers. Chris in PJs rolls in with a laundry hamper, dumps the contents onto the table, socks in the soup. You see that? All my clothes are pink. What did you do? How am I supposed to know how to do laundry? Why don't you do something around here? Chris stomps over to the pantry, opens the door. It's floor to ceiling with Bernie's discount cup of soups. Christ. We need some real food. Real food costs real money. Where's your 31 flavors paycheck? Spent it. On what? Things a man needs. What about your babysitting money? Gave it to the poor. I still got around $7, though. Chris slams the pantry door, slumps at the kitchen table, slurps his soup for breakfast. Reality. Grim. At the Irv, under an indifferent sun, kids go about their day. Chris and Kathy wander towards the front doors. Chris is dressed in his recently pinked up clothes. He looks like he hasn't slept in a week. Kathy is still dressed as a nun. They pass Renata Dial, the school secretary. She eyes them with deep concern, walking catastrophes. In the hallway, Chris and Kathy stand at the end of the hallway, disconnected from the kids jostling their way along. This is the last place they want to be right now. A dodgeball thwacks Chris upside the head, titters from behind them. Chris whips around. Of course, it's Richard Stone and his dickwad posse. Chris goes to a level of rage he didn't know he even had. Haven't you bastards heard? Our head of household is in a fucking coma. And there's dead silence in the hallway. Richard Stone backs away. Frank Dial steps up. Quietly, he says to Kathy. The things in your life that suck right now, and the specialized way that the things in your life that suck right now suck, will not continue indefinitely. Thank you, Francis. I got your shifts covered at 31 Flavors. You'll not be without a job. Much appreciated, amigo. And there are nods between the three kids. We go to Principal Porter's office, where Principal Porter sits behind his desk, adding rubber bands to his rubber band ball the size of a grapefruit. Renata Dial sits across from him, impatient. The Schwartzes are back. Uh, which ones are they again? He's the one who got pants last year full frontal we had that complaint and she's a religious cultist the nun uh yeah right uh the coma kids heard about that isn't he friendly with your son i'm afraid so who's taking care of him nobody the mother's out of state i think we're gonna have to step in here child services i checked with peggy wheeler at county she's available this afternoon oof Big step. Fact is, those kids were a disaster even before their dad went under. They need help. 
so much help. Principal Porter nods, adds more bands to his ball. Okay. All right. Tough times. Uh, tough decision. But this is when the educator earns his stripes. Renata stares at him. Who put the idiots in charge? Let's get this done. We go to St. Gabe's Hospital. The hospital looks extra bleak today. Ambulance drivers smoke and drink coffee outside the ER entrance. We're in Dr. Wagman's office. Dr. Wagman, 60, is the head of the neurology department. Tanned, veal-like skin, surgeon's hair. Imposing. Dan Meyer stands by the light board of Bernie's brain scans. No swelling of the thalamus, which indicates no damage to the RAS. We don't see hypoglycemia or hypercapnia. You are so adorable. Sorry? All you girl doctors. If we'd had you back in my day, it would have been a lot more fun, I'll tell you that. Dan Meyer freezes. What the fuck? She barrels forward. So all the indications are that Mr. Schwartz should be responsive. See, this is what I love about you. I'm sorry, I... You lady doctors, especially you younger ones, we were all saying this at our poker game the other night, you care so dang much, it is cute. Dr. Wagman, I don't think... Look, he'll either wake up or he won't. Just keep the shorts plugged in. Keep them humming along, okay? Thank you, doctor. You got it, honey. As Dan Meyer walks out to himself, chuckling. <laughs> Adorable. We're in the hospital hallway. Dan Meyer takes a second. She twists Bernie's file in her hands, pushing the rage down. We cut to Principal Porter's office. Chris and Kathy sit in the office. Uh, the principal's perched informally on the desk in empathy mode. All of us here at the Irv are with you. Our thoughts are with you. Our prayers, Kathy. If there's anything... Oh, my great and world sieve. Funny shorts. Uh, sense of humor. Important at a time like this. Porter picks up a roll of butcher's paper. The key club and the keyettes made this for your pop. And he unfurls a banner reading, Wake up, Mr. Schwartz. They spelled it wrong. There's a C after the S. Maybe. Uh, school spirit, though, huh? Chris and Kathy grimace. So, welfare. Your welfare specifically. Miss Dial, would you send in Miss Wheeler? The door opens, and social worker Peggy Wheeler, in her 50s, pushes in. She pulls up a chair. She's knee-to-knee with the kids. Overwhelming sympathy. Hi, guys. How you feeling today? What the hell is this? Excuse me, but who are you? This is Peggy Wheeler, and she's on your side. I'm here from L.A. County Child Protective Services. Chris springs from his seat. Whoa, 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 whoa. Uncalled for. There's some concern that with your father incapacitated and your mom not around, you two have been unsupervised in your home for over a week. Okay, okay, let me stop you there, Peg. Here's where we are, boots on the ground. The father figure? Yes, vegetative currently. The mother? The response is tardy, I grant you. Now you don't know me, so you can't possibly be expected to know. I have it. I got this. Chris's level of conviction is unsettling. Maybe so, but we're required. Listen, I'll keep this simple. I'm an 18-year-old adult man, which means legally... 
I am able to oversee and supervise this young lady here, my sister, Kathy, who is de facto a minor child. What is more, I am gainfully employed at the Baskin Robbins on Sierra Madre, two shifts a week, and I babysit. So financially, check. Beyond that, I don't know what to tell you. We're running a tight ship. Chris and Kathy share a conspiratorial look. They're a team for once. Honestly, Miss Wheeler, we're fine. May I suggest, Peggy, that you take your considerable talents and bring them to bear on our youth in actual need? I saw this kid the other day walking over on a... On Del Mar. Right, right. I mean, his life was a complete shambles. Anyone could see. So that's where you should be focusing your empathy. On that boy. Kathy smiles, one of her beatific smiles. We done here, Principal P? I got mocks in it, then a colostomy bag to empty. And Chris grabs the Kiets banner and slips out. Peggy turns to Kathy. Kathy, I'll just say that your brother's not 100% clear on the legality of all this. Your mom being here will be the deciding factor for how we proceed. She is on her way, correct? Yes. Peggy takes Kathy's hand. Kathy looks at it like it's a dead fish. Oh, Russ. Hey, hey. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad I found you in line. These clouds are really freaking me out. I hate having to stand in line. And boy, what a line. These giraffes do not smell good. No, they do not. And they have such short necks. But I'm hearing we need to get on this we ark. we got to get on the ark. It yeah. is about to rain. God is about to destroy humanity. Hey, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Are you Noah? Yeah, I know we look like humans, but we're actually, (laughs) we're podcasters. (laughs) We are podcasters, so it's different. Have you heard of Ono, Ross, and Carrie? We investigate spirituality, claims of the paranormal, stuff like that. And you have a boat and say the world's going to end, so seem like something for us to check out. We would love to be on the boat. We came two by two. What do you think? Ono, Ross, and Carrie, available on MaximumFun.org. Lila's workshop. Lila is climbing into a bright yellow Mustang convertible. Sextus passes her a tiny overnight bag. This all you're taking? You know me. In and out. Okay, baby girl. Bring him your special kind of love. She kisses him good and hard and fires up the stang. As she pulls out onto the blacktop, another of her towering sculptures creaks and then falls over, hits the dust. Fuck me! In St. Gabe's Hospital in the main hallway, doctors, orderlies, gurneys, all go... Find a doorway with a sign reading patient conference. In the patient conference room, conference tables and chairs, anatomy charts, one of those anatomical dummies with removable organs. Dan Meyer chugs the last of a monster energy drink, then looks over at the anatomy dummy. It would have been so much more fun if we had girl doctors back in my day. When she yanks an organ out of the dummy's abdomen cavity. You know what this is, right? This is your pancreas. How'd you like to live without that? She gnaws on it like a dog with a bone, tosses it. <sighs> How about some renal failure, Dr. Wagman? When she pulls out the liver. Not so adorable now, am I? She drop kicks the liver. Next, she pulls out the lungs. Oh no! Oh my god! I am such a condescending prick that I can't breathe! And then she goes for the heart, pulls it out, rams it down the dummy's throat. Eat it! You will never eat it. Eat it. You ever speak to me like that again? This girl doctor will take you out back and put a scalpel through your eyeball, you tiny dick motherfucker. 
She shoves the dummy. It rolls away on its casters. Dan Meyer flops down in her chair. We go to Bernie's house in the kitchen. The house doesn't look like a tight ship, more like the Titanic going down. Kathy's at the stove, burning something in a pan. There's sweat under her wimple. Chris comes in with a bottle of bourbon in one hand and a pile of unpaid bills in the other. What is that? You wanted real food. It's eggs and some sour cream. And I'm doing a sauce. What the fuck's the sauce? Ketchup. It's hot ketchup. It's what $7 gets us, so just shut up. You could help. I am. I'm up to my eyeballs. He sits at the kitchen table, pours four fingers of the bourbon into a glass, swigs, opens a checkbook. These checks aren't going to forge themselves. That's illegal, and you shouldn't be drinking. Do you have any idea how far behind Dad was with the bills? If Bernie doesn't come out of this soon, they'll come and take the house, and we'll be living on hobo change we collect in a tin bucket outside Bed Bath & Beyond. Don't say that! Freaked out, Kathy throws the pot of hot ketchup into the sink. Dishes break. There's a big, fat, scary silence. Maybe we do need some help, Chris. Maybe Peggy Wheeler was right. Chris sees how scared his sister is. For once, he's semi-calm, sensitive, kid gloves. Which is it, Kath? I'm serious. You want to move into a group home, or you want mom here? Because mom being here is the only thing that's going to keep us out of juvie. Needing her to be here isn't the same as wanting her to be here. It's easy for you. You were always her favorite. What? She hates us both the same. Kathy's lip starts to tremble, losing it. What if dad never comes back? What are we going to do, Chris? Her crying starts him crying, which he cannot tolerate. Don't cry. Don't you cry on me. Chris snatches the bourbon, grabs the car keys off the hook by the back door. He's out, slams the door, leaving Kathy bereft. We're at a motel in Barstow, California. It's night. It's a nothing fancy motel off of Highway 40. Lila's Mustang is out front. We hear the jukebox from the bar lounge. Inside the motel bar lounge, Lila's at the bar in the just seedy enough lounge on her second Manhattan. She sings along to the jukebox, Bananarama's Venus. She's got it. Your baby, she's got it. I'm your Venus. I'm your fire, your desire. She glances over at the cowboy slash businessman next to her. His head is bopping along to the music. You like that? Yeah, take me back. You know, I'm not a bad mother. A lot of women do it. I mean, I, I don't know the statistics, but I'm guessing that it's somewhere around 38%. Women being the ones who leave. There's no shame. I mean, we don't have to feel guilt. Men do it all the time. I'm still a good enough mother. Back to the song. She's got it. Your baby, she's got it. Come here. Hand on the back of the guy's neck. She pulls him in for a serious kiss. Tongues. He's more than happy to go there. She breaks the kiss. Squirms. No, that's not right. Not tonight. Mm -mm. (laughs) Thanks, though. And she drains her glass and slithers off the bar stool. We're in neighborhood streets. Slow rolling, Bernie's Honda Civic weaves down a street of houses. Intentional drunk driving. It veers, bumps a couple of trash cans. In Bernie's car, Chris has the bottle of bourbon between his legs. He's well-sauced. Hits play on Bernie's CD player. The liquid bass voice of legendary Negro spiritualist Paul Robeson oozes out. The classic 
Old Man River. Chris rolls the windows down, cranks the music up as he sideswipes a parked Prius. The music plays over the San Marino streets. Kathy, she flies along, flies along on her purple bike, Sally Field style. She pedals out her sadness slash confusion. From Bernie's car, as Old Man River just keeps rolling along, Chris pulls a half-burnt blunt from his shirt pocket, rummages around in the glove box, looking for a lighter. He finds Bernie's dictaphone instead and hits play. His dad's voice takes him by surprise. Don't let the bastards get you down, son. And there will be bastards, and they will get you down. Just don't let them. But if they do, uh, just, just drop and roll. Chris hits the brakes, stops in the middle of the street, turns Paul Robeson off. He looks at the dictaphone, wants more, wants his dad. He hits rewind. There's raucous laughter on the tape. It's Bernie cracking up. <laughs> so, <laughs> so don't 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 do that in front of a circus elephant. Oh, okay. And another thing, pimento cheese. No, spelunking. Absolutely, but beware. As Bernie's voice rolls on, we cut to St. Mary's Church, the house of God. Kathy's bike is by the gate out front. We hear Bernie in voiceover. Road rage. Wouldn't recommend it, but sometimes it's funny, right? Inside the church, Kathy's in the front row, alone, just a couple of candles flickering. Bernie's voice drifts in somehow. Loyalty. Sounds obvious, but that's a yes. That's, that's a big one. Kathy looks around, confused. She can hear her dad's voice coming from somewhere. But above all else, love. You gotta be careful with love. Kathy looks up at the Christ on the cross. But it's not Christ hanging there, it's Bernie talking right to her. She rises to her feet. You gotta be careful how you give it, and be careful how you take it. But the one thing I can say is for sure... You are loved. And Bernie on the cross smiles down at Kathy. The candlelight flickers on Kathy's ecstatic face. Then, back on the cross, it's just Jesus again. Oh, well. In the motel room in Barstow, Lila, cross-legged on the motel bed, TV on low, she scrolls through old family photos on her phone. We're close on picture after picture of the Schwartz family, landing on Chris and Kathy, aged seven and five, little cuties, she sniffles, but she's not going to cry. We're outside Frank Dial's apartment complex. We hear a doorbell. Frank Dial opens the door of his lowish rent, three-story, multi-unit, townhouse village apartment, the Del Monaco. Chris sways on the doorstep, shit-faced. You're shit-faced. I am what I am. And he pushes past Frank. We're in Frank's bedroom. His small bedroom screams enforced tidiness. He lives under a regime. His wallpaper design is famous U.S. presidents. On top of the presidents, posters of famous African-Americans, Frederick Douglass, MLK, James Baldwin, etc. Frank Dial sits on the edge of the bed. Chris is on his knees, rubbing his face in the carpet and liking it. What are you doing down there? You know how sometimes a dog it will rub its face to leave a scent? Well, I'm leaving a scent. I don't want you to forget me, ever. I can't make any promises. See, that's what I love about you, man. God damn. 
Chris crawls up onto the bed next to Frank. We're brothers, right? Me and you, we're brothers. One and the same. We're both minorities. No, we're not. Well, okay, maybe okay. Well, you know, but we, uh, yeah, we're both fatherless. Technically, neither of us are. Right, but yours is incarcerated, uh, the big house, and mine, check it out, mine is too, imprisoned in his feeble body. See? You see that? Uh, I'd prefer if we didn't talk about my dad. Me too, me too. I would prefer if we talked about brotherhood, manhood. Dude, you are so fucked up right now. No, no, I'm free! He throws his arms around Frank's neck, an inch from his face. A wise man once told me, you got to be careful with love. You got to be careful how you give it and how careful you take it. So, that said, I love you, man. I do. There's a long beat where they just look at each other very quietly. I love you too. And the stare becomes a kiss, an actual kiss between Frank Dial and Chris Schwartz. When they break... That was weird. Kind of like kissing a girl. Or so one would imagine. Yeah, we should probably never do that again. Probably. Just then, click. The bedroom door closes. Frank leaps off the bed. Oh, shit. Fuck. Was that your mom? You gotta go, dude. Frank opens his door. In the living room, Frank and Chris creep sheepishly down the stairs, hoping for a clean getaway, but Renata Dial is standing near the front door, arms crossed, extra stern expression. How much did she see? Frank whispers to Chris. Straighten up. Fly right. Chris plays it super straight, gives Renata a tip of his non-existent cap. Good night, Mrs. D. Merry Christmas. She opens the door for Chris quietly closes it behind him, turns to Frank, a penetrating stare. Frank unconsciously wipes his lips with the back of his hand. In the outside of Frank's apartment complex, Chris stumbles his way to Bernie's car. It's up on a curb, bumper, bumper bent on a tree. He gets in, turns the engine over. The stereo blares Old Man River out into the night. It carries to Bernie's hospital room. The lights are dimmed, the beep of a heart monitor, the wheeze of breathing tubes. Bernie is still in stasis. Over the bed, the key club banner reading, wake up, Mr. Schwartz. Audibly, the tape peels away from the wall and the banner falls on top of Bernie, drapes across his face like it's suffocating him. And we drift down to the room beneath the floor, Bernie world. The water is still rising. Bernie is shoulder deep, palms on the ceiling, gulping air. The geishas swim around him like beautiful betta fish. Bernie cocks his head. From somewhere far, far away, he hears singing. Bernie sings along. He keeps on rolling along. And we're exterior of St. Gabe's Hospital. Sign out front, ambulance parking only. Parked in the spot, Lila's Mustang. In Bernie's hospital room, she's here. The former Mrs. Schwartz. She stands at Bernie's bedside, looking down on the man she left. Wake up, okay? Come on, don't do this to me, Bernie. I mean, fuck. Don't. 
okay? I can't have you dying. She pushes the hair off of Bernie's forehead. I can't. You know, kids. I can't. I, I'm an artist now. I live in the desert. Behind her, unseen by Lila, stands Dr. Dan Meyer, eavesdropping on the intimate scene. Come on. Don't be an asshole. Wake up. Dan Meyer eases out of the doorway as Lila drops into the chair at the side of the bed. In the hospital cafeteria, Lila is in the lunch line, tray and silverware on the push rail, bland hospital food in plastic containers. Watching her from across the room, the kids. There she is. She looks... Self-involved. I was going to say pretty. What do we do? Run. It's too late. Lila spots the kids, walks towards them, tray in hand. She barely recognizes Kathy in her baby blue nun robes. None of them knows how to be with the other. Mother? Kathy! Wow. What happened? What happened? Bernie's in a coma, Kathy's Julie Andrews, and I'm stuck being me. Ah, kid. Lila pulls Chris into a slightly stiff embrace, and we cut to the cafeteria table. The kids suck chocolate milk through straws. Lila can't take her eyes off Kathy. Did I miss something? Did your father put you in a convent? She hasn't taken it off since... The night everything changed. Lila smirks unkindly. She knows how Kathy is. Kathy bristles. Don't mock me, Mother. I'm trying to develop an abiding faith, and in order to have faith, I have to suffer. So please, let me suffer in peace. Okay. Just don't forget to be 16. There's a prolonged, painful silence. Three people with nothing to say to one another. Dr. Danmeyer approaches, clutching a couple of pamphlets. Chris perks up. Oh, Dr. D! Mom, this is the implausibly young doctor who's going to bring Dad out of his persistent vegetative state. Lisa, Lila, Lisa, Lila, Lisa. Lila takes Dan Meyer's measure. When's he going to snap out of it? Snap out of it? So, Dr. D, tell Lila exactly how many of these cases you've, uh, you know, handled. Chris grabs the pamphlets out of Dan Meyer's hand. I, look, this is my, uh, my first actual case, but I assure you. Do doctors believe in heaven, Dr. Danmeyer? Danmeyer is overwhelmed by this onslaught. Chris thumbs through one of the pamphlets, nodding. Coma in the family, five steps to acceptance. Okay, what do we got? Shock, denial, anger, guilt, acceptance. Well, that's us. They got us to a T. Imagine Kathy's shocked to find out that Jesus doesn't actually give a shit. Shut up! He does! Lila here is in denial that she even has children. Oh, Christopher, for God's sakes. You're guilty of not being able to fix my dad. And everyone's angry at me for my zen-like acceptance. I think this is the best thing for Bernie. Some downtime. A chance to reflect on his mediocre life. Chris hands the pamphlet back at Dan Meyer, smiles. I'm sorry, doctor. My children used to have manners. It's all right, Mrs. Schwartz. I've made a professional decision to take Chris's shit. We've covered this in empathy class. Chris's shit has nothing to do with me. He's furious at his father for being in a coma. I get it. And then to Chris with a dismissive smile. 
but don't push it, okay? And Dan Meyer pushes past Chris. Lila stops her with... Quick request, Lisa. Understand that while Bernie's no longer my husband, these two people here are his children, so I encourage you to tell them everything. I live in Sedona now. In other words, she'll be leaving, D. Comprende? Again. But it's okay, because we know she loves us. Dan Meyer looks at the nun, the Arizonian, and the angry boy. With pity and horror, she turns and leaves. Wait, hang on. Chris bolts off, leaving Kathy and Lila alone. Yeah. Uh, in the stairwell, Chris clomps down the steps on Dan Meyer's heels. Dr. D. Not now, Chris. Tell me if I'm off base here. You're off base. You probably have a boyfriend, right? Excuse me? He's probably a podiatrist, but he'll break up with you because you think you're better than him because he's only a podiatrist. Dan Meyer, eyes rolling, stops on the landing and turns. You're completely out of line. And you know what? You are better than him. On the other hand, your podiatrist boyfriend knows how to have fun. You don't know how to have fun. You haven't cracked a smile since day one of med school. You don't know anything about me. You don't know anything about anything. You're just a boy. Maybe, but under it all, D, you're just the former girl. That's the, ch that's the chink in your armor. You may not like it, but you know I got your shit scoped. There's a flicker of vulnerability in Dan Meyer. Is the little shit hitting a nerve? You feeling this? He points at himself, then at her, then at him, then at her, then at him. There is something seriously wrong with you. And no, I don't have a boyfriend. I don't have anyone. Happy now? And they stand in silence for a second. Aw, let's hug it out. Chris offers Dan Meyer a comforting embrace. Honestly, it lasts too long. She breaks the hug when they both look down and see that Chris is sporting a major boner. Oh, there it is. He grins awkwardly and sprints back up the steps. Dan Meyer despairs. In the cafeteria, Lila and Kathy, another excruciating silence. You shouldn't frown so much, honey. I'm not. I don't think you even know that you're doing it. Those little lines between your eyebrows. She reaches across to point to Kathy's wrinkles. Kathy jerks her head away. You don't watch out. They'll become permanent. And you won't like that when you're my age. Kathy glowers. Beauty tips. Thanks, mother. Look, kiddo. I know this hasn't been easy. Which part do you know hasn't been easy? Well, this part. With your dad. And Kathy jumps down Lila's throat. Actually, Mother, this part with Dad, with him being kind of at peace and him not worrying, and me with something real to ask God for, this isn't the hardest part. But you wouldn't know. This stops Lila. She sighs. Kathy, honey, how about we dial it down to an eight? Can we do that? Kathy pushes away from the table, marches out. Round one goes to Kathy. We're in Frank Dial's bedroom. Frank sits at his computer, composing an email to Chris. We read slash hear. Christopher, an Eskimo kiss in modern Western culture is the act of pressing the tip of one's nose against another. It is loosely based on the traditional uh, Inuit greeting called a kunik, the French kiss, a timeless, passionate gesture of romantic love. 
is an amorous kiss in which the participants' tongues extend to each other's lips or mouth holes. Each of these are designed as societally specific signatures of affection. Whilst odd and possibly unfortunate, our exchange of you know, yesterday evening fell somewhere between Inuit and Le Francois. Uh, I hope we can agree to agree that the underlying principle was an honest expression of the aforementioned affection. Might I suggest we find an alternate delivery system in the future? Yours, platonically, Francis Dial. The cursor blinks. Frank's hand hovers over the send button. He opts instead for delete. We're interior Bernie's car. Chris and Kathy driving Bernie's banged up car in silence. There's so much to talk about. So much they can't say. Chris reaches for the CD player. He turns on Old Man River, loud. Somehow, Paul Robeson's deep bass voice is a comfort as he sings. That's where that'll go. And the music plays over the exterior of Bernie's house. Chris drives past Lila's Mustang, parked at the curb, turns into his driveway. The kids get out of the car and pause to look at Lila standing by the front door, her overnight bag in hand. Chris looks at Kathy. Kathy looks at Chris. Together, they walk up the path, up the steps, and past their mother. They open the front door and close it in her face. Round two goes to Kathy and Chris. In the room beneath the floor, Bernie world, water all the way up. Bernie's floating, free-falling. The geishas swim around him like bizarre mermaids with powder-white faces. From everywhere, like a kind of heavenly whale song, Paul Robeson sings the final verse of Old Man River. Bernie sings along, bubbles rising. I get weary and sick of trying. I'm tired of living, scared of dying. But Old Man River, he just keeps rolling along. Bernie relaxes his body, lets himself sink to the bottom, letting go, letting go, letting go. We smash cut to his hospital room, Bernie in his bed. His eyes snap open. He gulps air like a drowning man saved. Bernie is awake. We fade out. End of episode. All right. I hope you enjoyed that. Oh, I'm guessing you're maybe as bummed as I am that that's it. We just have those two. Dead Pilot Society is produced by me and my co-host Ben Blacker and our associate producer Noah Findling and edited and mixed by Jordan Katz. Come back next week for my interview with Michelle and Kieran Mulroney. This is a really good one. Some great stuff about just perseverance and dry spells. The dry spells that happen in most writers' careers and how to, how to get through them. And just the crazy story of how many years they spent with this project. So definitely come back uh, to listen to that. Until next time, I'm Andrew Reich. Thanks for listening. Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows supported directly by you.